0: all right Ooh. there we go all right good morning fellas some guys are still trickling in feel free to grab some coffee if you haven't already so uh we'll get started i want to respect your time um yeah i'm not a morning person so this this is the thing yep uh, first of all, thank you guys so much for coming. Uh, I know it's a commitment. I know some of you guys might have to jet out early for work and stuff like that. So that's great. Feel free to leave whenever you need to. Um, I hope that as you as you kind of read through Habits of Grace and, and checked out the study guide this week, that you've kind of already begun to get the ethos of what this is. At least for me, as I was reading through the book, uh, I and I told people this. Maybe I told you this, where I walked away not feeling like guilty. But actually, uh, like thirsty, if that makes sense. Whereas, like, oh wow, the, the beauty of what this is, and and how this can help me see God, and how how I can enjoy Jesus through the Word or through prayer or through meditation or whatever it is. It was like it didn't give me a bunch of check boxes. It actually it it, it helped my desire, if that makes sense. You know, it, it didn't produce in me a sense of obligation. It produced in me a sense of desire. And so I hope the same thing kind of happened for you guys. And so I kind of want to do a little bit of housekeeping here at the beginning, just to kind of give you a, a framework for how the next five weeks are going to be structured, where we're going, and what that's going to look like. So, oh, hey, Colton. Uh, <laughs> um, so we're going to have, over the next three weeks, uh, this, this morning we're talking about hearing God's voice, through his word, through scripture. Next week, it's gonna be hearing his voice uh, through meditation, so after we've read scripture, how do we meditate on that? How do we let that you know, soak in us, I guess, is a way you could say that, if you're kinda of artsy or whatever. Um, have his ear through prayer, uh, belong to his body in fellowship, so the value of the local church. Um, and we're actually gonna be going through a four-week series in September on the church. What is the church? Uh, and, and what does the church do? It's four weeks, so it's not exhaustive. But I think this will be a good kind of uh, kind of primer you know, for us before we get into that. And then stewardship, uh, steward is resources. It, in the book, it's called the coda. It kind of seemed like that was the junk drawer a little bit. Uh, once you get there, you'll see it's kind of like, okay, how, what do we do with our time? What do we do with our money? What do we do uh, with... Our resources. What, like, how do we steward these things? It's like, well, it's stewardship. So we're going through that. The, the nice thing about this class too is that if you, if you don't particularly like the way that I lead it, just wait a week or so, and there'll be other people who lead this class. And it's the same thing for the women. I mean, we've got about forty guys signed up for this. There's about ninety women signed up, and so even today, Sarah and I are going to set up, You know, pack this room out. So the ladies are, kind of killing us, which is fine, but. Uh, but so for us, it's going to be, uh, I'll be teaching some, Scott Rieger uh, will teach, Mark Jackson, Cody Klein, uh, Jordan Perhota. Uh I don't think I'm missing any, anyone with that. That's for the guys. And for the women, it's uh, my wife, Sarah, Amanda Jackson, Christina Hannon, um, Leah Van S., Lynette Hager, uh, and I, th- I think there's a couple more, but like there, there's a plurality of voices in this that we really wanted to bring in. Part of it was because uh, recognizing, as I read through this book, there were some people that came to mind that kind of that kind of embodied some of these things. Where it's like, hey, can you can you actually teach this and kind of just kind of show us what you already do? Like this isn't a new thing. So you'll hear that. I would encourage you to if your wife isn't. You know, part of this, or taking this, or whatever, for whatever reason that is, like, like do do the best you can to even lead her in these things. I, I was talking to a couple yesterday with some premarital counseling stuff, and uh, and the guy is he's kind of introverted, he's kind of timid. I think sometimes that's why even you know uh, settings like this can be difficult for some guys because it's like I don't want to wake up at 6 a.m. and talk about my feelings. Like I don't want to talk about my feelings ever. Let alone at 6 a.m. You know, it's like, okay, we're not going to talk about your feelings. But um, he's kind of introverted and kind of trying to process, like, how, how, do I, how do I spiritually, like, is spiritual leadership something that's only relegated to the extroverts is basically kind of where he's at. And it's like, no, not at all. Like, the best way that you can lead your wife spiritually first is to lead yourself. Be a man of God. Be a man of the word and lead yourself well and let that come out of the overflow. In whatever way God has wired you, particularly if you're super extroverted, maybe you're grabbing her to do, you know, you're waking up super early and you're reading the scriptures together and you're journaling together and you're doing all this. It's like but for some other guys, it's going to not quite look like that. So wherever you're at in that spectrum, I would encourage you to take this book and kind of what you're learning through it and try to incorporate it some way in in your, your marriage relationship or even just your discipleship relationships uh, <clears throat> as you talk to other people in your connection group or whatever. Um, this is a great way to pull people into what God's doing in your own life. So that's a little bit. Uh, two other things. So this will be... Uh, up on the candela equipping podcast so the men's morning and the women's morning will both be put up there for the audio so if you're not able to make a morning you'll be able to go back it'll probably be you know wednesday or thursday that week it'll be a little midweek but you'll be able to go back and listen to the to the teaching portion of this uh same thing for the women they'll be able to do that too i would encourage you as well to listen to the women's one you know if you're mowing the yard or whatever throw it in because like like, I was looking through the notes that Sarah and Amanda are going to be talking about tomorrow, and they say some different things, and they've got a perspective that, uh, that's really helpful. And so even for us to kind of listen in on maybe what our wives are hearing tomorrow uh, could be a really cool thing where we can kind of springboard into some conversation and say, like, hey, I actually heard Sarah say this, or I heard Amanda say this, or I heard Leah say this, or whatever. Like, what did you think about that? Or And kind of to spur some conversation in that. Another thing, too, is... As we go through the slides, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna email out each week a PDF of the keynote slides. And so if you're if I'm kind of going through and you're like, oh man, I can't write that fast or whatever, just hold up and I'll send you a, I'll email you a PDF so you can kind of go back and you can either listen again or just go through the slides and be able to get the things that you missed. Especially today, as we get to the end, we'll talk about some resources that'll help us with scripture reading and with Bible study and stuff like that. Uh, Some of it, it's like longer links, you know, to websites, and it's like nobody wants to write those down. So, wait for the PDF, and you'll be able to go back and see that. So, anyways, what we're talking about in Habits of Grace is we're talking about uh, what uh, David Mathis refers to as the means of grace, or or some means of grace. And depending on your church tradition, right? Like, so like if you grew up Catholic or if you grew up Methodist or Lutheran or whatever, you might have heard the phrase means of grace. And what's interesting, it was helpful that Mark pointed this out to me. He's like, uh, be, be, be clear on what that means. Because for different church traditions, means of grace actually mean, mean different things. And so what are we talking about when we talk about the means of grace? And so in order for us to do that, we have to first define grace. Now, there's a lot of definitions of grace that you can find out there. I tried to pick maybe, maybe the simplest one. Um, and so grace... Grace is God's unmerited goodness toward those who deserve only his punishment. Grace is God's unmerited goodness towards those who deserve only his punishment. So if mercy is not getting what you do deserve, grace is being given something you don't deserve. That might be a way to think of that. And so God's unmerited goodness towards those who deserve only his punishment. And so means of grace when we're talking about that, we're not talking about ways to elicit God's goodness toward us. That's the point of the whole unmerited part. Like in in God's grace there is no merit involved. Like we bring we don't bring anything to the table to elicit the grace of God, and we're going to talk about how that kind of plays itself out in uh, in justification, sanctification, and glorification. But um, we're not talking about eliciting God's grace here. I, I liked the the Westminster Larger Catechism's definition of means of grace, <coughs> and it says this. And I added the question number there for you if you want to look it up later. So means of grace are the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to His church the benefits. Of his mediation. I'll just let that sink in for a second, because when I first read it, I was like, what the heck does <laughs> that I mean? It's the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to his church the benefits of his mediation. And so in the gospel, Jesus Christ serves as our mediator. We've been talking about that in the book of Hebrews. He's, he stands in the gap. He intercedes for us. He is our mediator between men and God. And The means of grace are the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates the benefits of what he has already accomplished for us. This goes back to uh, this isn't the means of grace aren't ways to elicit God's grace, but it's the way in which we enjoy. And so I'll say this way. This means that these habits or practices are means by which we understand and enjoy the benefits of our covenant relationship with God, which has already been secured in Jesus Christ. And so in the means of grace, we're not, we're not earning anything. What we're doing is we're using some tools that we've been given to be able to see more clearly the greatness of God and what he has done in Jesus Christ. That's essentially what that is. And so that's why as much as I can, if I, if I can have some uh, some control over my language, I'm going to, as much as I can, try to say uh, some means of grace, because these these aren't uh, ex- exclusive I would say uh, you'll find other definitions of means of grace also including baptism and communion and, and we won't really talk explicitly about that uh, but there are other ways in which we can see God more greatly and, and enjoy the benefits of what Christ has already secured uh, for us and so that's what we're talking about in means of grace there was a quote here on um, oh wow I almost moved on here. So one thing about the class structure is we're going to start off. uh, It's not going to be exclusively me just talking at you. Okay, that'd be weird with round tables, right? So there'll be some table discussion. Uh, Again, grab your coffee if you need to wake up a little bit for that. But uh, with all of that said, so defining grace and understanding what we mean when we say means of grace uh, remember, grace is God's unmerited goodness towards those who deserve only his punishment. And so one of the things we'll do for the next five to ten minutes is I want you to dis- to discuss at your tables how have you seen God's unmerited goodness toward you in your life? How have you seen God's unmerited? Like, like, if you are a believer, you have been shown grace in Jesus Christ, that he has shown you in Christ, not by any work of your own, but it's been unmerited goodness in Christ. And how has he explicitly shown you that? in your own life are there ways that you have experienced God's blessing are you ways that you've experienced his grace in a particular way that's unique to your to your life um, that you can even just take some time to share remember not everyone has to share obviously five minutes could be one guy all right so appoint a few guys and have them share kind of how God's showed his unmerited goodness and we'll come back in about 10 minutes ish I've got like 40 slides so we're gonna fly all right so you don't need to talk too much all right. So, hopefully, hopefully that's a good exercise for you. One of the things that we try to do, and this might be a an underhanded way of uh, of parenting, but we <laughs> we're particularly working with Naomi on not complaining. And one of the ways that we uh, try to help her not complain uh, isn't just by coming down on her for complaining, but by trying to create within her a heart of gratitude. Right. So fighting uh, complaint with gratitude. And so a lot of times what we'll do is we'll talk about how God's been gracious to her, to our family, to her life, stuff like that. Uh, yeah, to mainly combat that, but really we want to instill in her this kind of like regularity of recounting God's goodness to us in our life. And so hopefully even in that little exercise, it gives you a bit of a picture of like something you can go home and do with your family. Like, hey, can we, let's just kind of talk about how God's been gracious to us. Now, no matter how hard your life has been, there's been trials, I, I have to imagine that you are able to see at least glimmers of God's faithfulness and unmerited goodness to you in your life. And so one of the things that I found here, uh, in the book is, and this quote was in the footnotes, so if, as you're reading, if you're a reader, if you're not a reader, uh, I would encourage you to, to read the footnotes. Um, it's easy to because it's in smaller font and it's at the bottom and sometimes it's like oh that's not important that's just their where they got their stuff from sometimes there's like gold in there often often that that kind of populates my reading list to be honest if i'm reading a book and i i uh, i'm learning something or I, or i'm like i'm like wow that is really profound and there's a there's a footnote number next to it i'll actually go to the footnote see where they got that from and then write that book down on my reading list and go, okay, after this, I actually want to read that. And it kind of gets you a little bit deeper into understanding, okay, who who influenced this author and kind of go back there. So this quote from uh, J.C. Ryle was uh, was really helpful. And and he says this, he says, the means of grace are such as Bible reading, private prayer, and regularly worshiping God in, in church, wherein one hears the word taught and participates in the Lord's Supper, I lay it down as a simple matter of fact that no one who is careless about such things must ever expect to make much progress in sanctification. I can find no record of any eminent saint who ever neglected them. They are appointed channels through which the Holy Spirit conveys fresh supplies of grace to the soul and strengthens the work which he has begun in the inward man. I particularly, the reason why I grabbed that out of here was I, uh... That no one who is careless about such things must, must ever expect to make much progress in sanctification. If, if, we're, if we're half-hearted, if we're careless, if we're lazy about enjoying God through means that he has given us to enjoy him, like there's no way that we can expect to become the men that, that we're supposed to be. To become the men that we could be in Christ, it's kind of like when my daughter and we don't live in a big house, but like she'll sit in her room and she'll yell across the house, just like, "Mom, can you can you get me this or Mom, whatever," and it's like it drives us insane because it's like, "Stop yelling!" Like if you and we'll like we'll go to her and be like, "Naomi, if you want to talk to us, we'd love to talk to you. Just come to the room that we're in." Like, stop screaming across the house, right? And so, how absurd would it be for Naomi to then sit in her room and go, Oh, I feel so alone. Where's mom and dad? They don't love me. They don't need me. They don't, like, for her to think that we're distant uh, simply because she can't expect to scream across the house and for us to do this, like, it's like, no, babe, just... Just get up and come to where we're at. Like, that's all you gotta do in order to enjoy our presence, in order to have our ear, in order to hear our voice. Like, just come to the room that we're in. Like, the door's open. I mean, we don't even have locks on them, you know, like on our inside rooms. It's like, just come, just come in. And it would be absurd for her to think that we're distant simply because she's not utilizing the hallway. I mean, it's like 10 steps, right? To come to the kitchen to just talk to us. It's like, we want we want to talk to her. We want to hear from her. All she's got to do is just get up and go out of her room. And in the same way, how could we ever expect to uh, to think that to, to to sense the presence of God, if I could put it that way? Like some people think, and this isn't everybody, but I think a lot of times it's like, well, God seems distant, and it's like, what what do your habits look like? I'm not trying to make this a workspace based righteousness. Thing. I'm not trying to say that or be, be legalistic or whatever. Um, I think that term gets thrown out too loosely, but it's like, what do what do your spiritual habits look like? And often, not always, but often, people are like, God feels distant. It also tends to follow that their that their regular habits of communing with God in the ordinary ways that we have to commune with them. It's like those are also have gone by the wayside. And it's like, well, of course, I'm I'm not saying it's just like a one size fits all. This fixes everything and whatever. But it's like it certainly doesn't hurt to read scripture, to meditate on it, to pray, to enjoy community with his church, stuff like that. It's like, if you're neglecting those things, then how could we ever expect to make progress in our sanctification? And so I thought that was a really helpful point, and uh, and it was a timely thing for what we're parenting through. So. Uh, Three things that I just wanted to, to define as we kind of move along is uh, David Mathis in the book talked about justification, sanctification, and glorification, and that those didn't really get particular definitions uh, in uh, in their biblical words, right? So I, I wanted to kind of define these for us. One of the things that he says is that grace justifies. So God's unmerited goodness justifies. What does that mean? <clears throat> so God's unmerited goodness justifies. Justification is an inst- is an instantaneous legal act of God in which he one thinks of our sins as forgiven in Christ and and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us and two declares us to be righteous in his sight. So our justification is is like an objective this is your status. You're like I don't feel sinless. It's like well you one you Aren't subjectively, you are objectively. And we talked about this uh, two weeks ago where it's like uh, you we have been perfected and sanctified in Christ. He has perfected us. That's what that means. He has justified us, that we stand before God objectively justified in right standing because when God looks at us, he sees Christ in us. That's justification. So grace justifies and grace sanctifies. What was so cool about about studying the Hebrews 10 passage, the first part of Hebrews 10, was that we see, uh, was that to see perfected and sanctified both in the same same passage. And, And sanctified here, sanctification is both a completed and progressive work of God in which we're set apart. That's what sanctified means, set apart. In which we are set apart as righteous in Christ and are continually becoming set apart through joyful obedience as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that continually becoming set apart isn't that we're isn't that we have to like maintain our objective status as justified in Christ, but it's it's this progressive work where we're where we are continually being conformed in our present state into the reality of our actual identity in Christ. So what is objectively true of you in Christ as being justified, we are continually being transformed into. So so that even while God sees you uh, in the same way that he sees Christ, the reality is, is that you know you don't act exactly like Christ, obviously, right? That is a progressive uh, movement where, and we're going to do it for the rest of our lives. We're going to be progressively becoming more and more like Christ. But the day will come when we are finally made like Christ. And that's where grace uh, glorifies. So justifies for the believer. Justification, uh, if you want to think of it real uh, simplistically, is like we look back on our justification. We, uh, we enjoy and grow and experience our sanctification now and we look forward to our glorification. So glorification is the perfect conformity of the believer to the image of Jesus Christ both in body and soul. It is the perfection of sanctification when our body of humiliation will be conformed to the body of Christ's glory. This will come when either Christ returns or when he takes us home to be with him in heaven. We will be then glorified. We will be then made perfected in Christ's image. And uh, and I I guess you could say that the sanctification process uh, will have stopped. Okay, so grace justifies, grace sanctifies, grace glorifies. And so one of the ways... Uh, that I put this down here, is that it's only God's unmerited goodness and favor that secures our justification, that secures and enables our sanctification, and gives us the affirmation that we can look forward to our glorification. So this all lives under the umbrella of God's unmerited goodness, right? Like, without the goodness of God toward us in Jesus Christ, we would never be justified, We would never be sanctified and we would never look forward to being glorified. It's all God's unmerited goodness here. And so all of this, again, is the backdrop by which we want to view all of these uh, habits or disciplines or practices, right? Like, like, lest we think, and I think, I think he does a good job in the book of, of trying as best he can to remove the, uh, the, the merit basis of doing any of these things. Is that it, this is all under the backdrop of God's grace, and these are all means through which we don't elicit his grace, but through which we enjoy the grace that we've already been given in Christ, okay? So this first week here, that was a pretty long preamble for actually getting into chapter one. But first week, we're talking about hearing his voice particularly through the written word of God, the revealed word of God through scripture. That, that's the primary way through which God has given us to hear his voice. And so the first thing, honestly, that, uh, that we can, if, if you're like, I don't know what, uh, what, um, what gracious thing to give thanks for when I go home and, and try to start, strike up that conversation, like how has God been gracious to us? You could simply go, Well, God has spoken. He's not aloof. He's not silent. Like, the fact that God has spoken and has revealed his words to us is an unmerited display of his goodness towards us. Like, God has spoken to us in his revealed word. We can know the mind of God if we would just open up our Bible. Like, that is a gracious gift that we've been given, to have the written word. Like, do you realize how how insane that is that we actually and maybe you've heard this before but like let it strike you again that we actually have in our possession like the revealed word of god that that isn't just a thing we should take for granted one there's people even today who don't enjoy that reality and it's it was fought through tears and blood that that actually became available to us that that was compiled and that we the, the the creation of the printing press alone is a gracious gift of God that we could even have our own copies of scripture and I wouldn't be ripping out sections and handing it to Seth and then he's mailing it to you and then it's like like we're just sharing it around. It's like, no, we actually have our own copies. God speaks. The the the, the classic passage for this is um is Second Timothy three. All scripture is inspired by God it is profitable. We'll get there. What I wanted to do was to look at the context here, because this this will just kind of like, uh, like, uh, just blow, blow it up, like make it as big as it needs to be, right? If we just take that one verse, like, yeah, that's right, God, all scriptures, God breathed. It's like, no, 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 let's let's look at the context here. So the context is uh, the what the minds of people will be like in the last days. So if when you start Second uh, Timothy three, that's what that's talking about, like the the mind of their flesh, stuff like that. I thought this uh, this verse in particular, verse nine, right before verse ten here, says, but they. Uh, Verse 8, sorry. Just as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so they also resist the truth. Just imagine being this kind of men. You might know men like this. They are men who are corrupt in mind and worthless in regard to the faith. Corrupt in mind and worthless in regard to the faith. Now that's the backdrop here. As we're talking about About all scripture being God breathed, it's like in contrast to men who are corrupt in mind and worthless in regard to the faith, how do you not become corrupt in mind and worthless in regard to the faith? How do you do that? Verse 10 But you have followed my teaching conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. How's that for a promise you want to claim, right? Put that on your, you know, coffee mug or barn door. Verse 13, evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So corrupt in mind, worthless in faith. But as for you, you have known the scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And then this is where we get all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may, com- may be complete, equipped for every good work. So how do we not be a person who is corrupt in mind and worthless in our faith? We look to the scripture, the revealed word of God to us, and we, un- and we see the greatness of the salvation that we have through faith in Jesus Christ. Hearing comes by the word, and, and, uh, or here comes... Faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of God. Like, like, Scripture is essential for actually even understanding the gospel because that is God's revealed word to us. That's what that's saying. And so, again, this is, this is David Mathis' kind of, uh, you can maybe call it his summary, I guess, of 2 uh, Timothy 3. Fashion rhythms of life that help you revolve around having God's incarnate word. So, revolve around having Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ is the Word of God. That's what incarnate Word means. We're all around having God's incarnate Word by God's gospel Word, the good news of the message of salvation, in Christ through God's written Word. And so it's only through the written Word of God that we see Jesus Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. You, you, want, you want to preach the gospel to yourself. You can't preach the gospel to yourself apart from the word of God. And so this is all just laying the backdrop for the value of, of scripture. So you might be asking, all right, you're like, okay, I've read the book. I've, I've understood the why. I, I get that that scripture is important. I get that scripture reading is important. I, I understand the beauty of it and it, not the obligation, but the opportunity. Uh, what's the best way to learn how to read the Bible? And, and I Realize that in a room like this, even just like, it's like many of us are in different kind of stages of our faith, right? And we're gonna kind of talk about that. But if you're in the stage where it's like, what's the best way to learn how to read the Bible? Just to read it for yourself. How do you learn how to read the Bible? Read it. It's kind of like playing an instrument, right? So it's like you could you could read a bunch of music theory books. You could uh, you could like I did when I was you know 12, had like the chord chart posters just like all over my room and I just stand there and kind of look at it and one try to understand what what are these dots what are these lines I don't really get it you could you could like memorize your chord charts you could even listen to other people play music and and kind of develop your taste that way and kind of it's like well I I at least kind of know what what I like or what sounds good and like all that stuff you could listen to jazz and try to be crazy Shane Klein's not here but um You do all those things. You could study music. You could become a student of music. But until you actually pick up the instrument, like you're you're not gonna know how to play it. Like I can listen to music all day long, but that doesn't actually just that doesn't teach me how to play the instrument myself. In the same way, you could listen to sermons all day long, and that's good. Like that's that that's a way to take in the scripture to 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 fill your mind with with truth, but it shouldn't be at the neglect of your own uh, time in the Word, if that makes sense. So pick up our instrument and actually learn how to do it. And you know what's funny about learning an instrument? If you've ever done it, it's like when you pick it up, you're terrible. Like you sound bad, just bad, right? And it's like you're clumsy. You don't. I remember when I first learned the guitar. I was like, my fi- how my fingers can't go that way. Like my. My hand can't move that way. And I remember a guy telling me, he's like, he's like, yeah, I remember that. And now I can play that in my sleep. And I thought at the time when I was first like, I'm like, I will never be able to play that in my sleep ever. But after days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months, months turned into years. Eventually, that muscle gets developed, and eventually, it was like, oh my word, like this is true. Like if I pick it up myself and put in the time and the effort, I will eventually get better at this. So if you're like I read the Bible and I don't understand it. I don't even know how to read the Bible. It's like, keep reading. Keep developing that muscle. And eventually, it will get a little easier. As we go, We'll continue to learn. Like, we're never going to exhaust the depths of Scripture. But if, but for if you're discouraged in your own Bible reading, it's like, don't give up. Like, don't be the the 12-year-old that throws a guitar in the corner and is like, nah, it's too hard. No, Nobody can do that. It's like, no, nope, you can't do that. You just got to... Keep it in your hands and keep playing. All right. So there's two there's two categories that I think might be helpful though as we as we want to grow in our in our uh, in our scripture reading and those two are breadth and depth. And uh, another way to put this would be Bible reading and Bible study. All right. There's a difference here, and I think these two categories could be helpful for for us depending on what kind of like stage in our faith or stage in uh, in our and our maturity, our ability to read the scriptures, right? So Bible reading and Bible study in the book, this is where he's talking about raking and digging, okay? And so the first one with breadth is we're talking about reading the Bible broadly, right? Like we're talking about um, quantity here, okay? And And again, I don't want to turn any of this necessarily into like you have to read this much in order to get this benefit. But I'm just simply talking about reading the Bible broadly, mm-hmm. Bible intake, uh, raking, you could call it the flyover where, uh, where you, you know, you've been on the airplane and you're flying into Chicago or something and it's like, wow, I can see the whole city, right? Like that's helpful. Like you, you understand the magnitude of it once you get at like a 50,000 foot. Level here, And so, one of the things I want to kind of encourage you guys with is, you might say, I, I, don't, I don't have time to read a lot of the Bible. The time that it takes to read the whole Bible is 74 and a half hours on average. If you're, if you're a slow reader, it might be a little longer. If you're a fast reader, it might be a little shorter. 74 and a half hours. And the benefit of reading broadly is that you're able to get a view of the whole picture, Right? And we'll talk about now the, the the disadvantage if you only read broadly is that you kind of stay at the surface level. Is that you you get a broad view of the whole picture of of the story of the Bible, but you you don't really get an in depth look at anything. Uh, I, one of the ways I was talking to my wife about it last night was um, was reading broadly is like raking, reading deeply is like digging up the gold. And I think he kind of uses that analogy here. But reading broadly, we need to do that in order to get the broad scope of scripture. So, it takes 74 and a half hours to read the whole Bible. You're like, "I don't have 74 and a half." That's like that's about as much vacation as I get a year, you know. I'm like, that's not, that's not I'm not saying take your whole vacation to read the Bible. What I'm saying is is that equals 12 minutes a day. If you want to read the Bible in a year, read for 12 minutes a day. If you want to read it in six months, read for 25 minutes a day. It's about as simple as that, to be honest. And it's like uh, Crossway did a, did a survey. And just to put this in a little bit of perspective for you, because uh, I think one of the excuses as to why we don't read the Bible is I don't have time. It's like, okay, well, do you have 12 minutes? Uh, they took a survey, and 70% of people spend, on average, 30 minutes or more a day checking and responding to emails. 30 minutes a day, 70% of people. That's most of us in this room. 59% of people spend 30 minutes thirty minutes or more a day watching TV. And then 42% of people spend about that much time a day on the hobbies they enjoy, right? And so for the I don't have time excuse, like, I, I'm not trying to be heavy. And I'm saying this to myself, too. It's like, I've got 12 minutes. I, I don't know your bathroom habits. Like, this may just be mean, like, put a Bible in your bathroom, right? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like, you got 12 minutes? Just make it 12 minutes. It's like, I'll, I'll read the Bible while I'm going to the bathroom. And you'll read the Bible in a year, okay? Like, you got time. We have time as men to read the Bible broadly, to get the, to get the scope of Scripture. And what, and what we're doing here in Bible breadth is that as we're reading, we're, we're seeking to comprehend. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about these bookmarks that are in front of you, but we're seeking to comprehend what it's saying, and we're also kind of like taking notes along the way. And that might just put a, put a Bible and a pen in your bathroom. How about that? And just circle the things that you don't understand. Circle the things you're like, I actually want to go back and understand that more. I'd like to take a little bit more time to look at that. Honestly, Bible breath is is a lot of what my morning reading is. It's like, I wake up, again, I'm not a morning person. I make my coffee. I kind of like, I say good morning. That's about as much as I say in the morning to my family. Like, I'm trying to grow in that. And I'm like, okay, I slept well. Thanks for asking. And Sit down, I, read, <laughs> I open my Bible, and I, I read out of, in the mornings, I read out of the ESV Reader's Bible, uh, which is basically just, it, does, it, takes the, it takes the headings and the verse numbers out. And you, so you've just got the chapter numbers of the scripture. And what I found, I, I don't know why it is, like people smarter than me could probably figure this out, when I don't have the verse numbers and the headings, when you take that like extra stuff away, I read a lot more of scripture. Because I don't have these like triggers telling me like, oh well that section's done. It's like well no like these are these are letters like these are these are these are broader writings like those weren't original too. The the chapter numbers and the verse numbers and the the bold headings like that that wasn't in the original manuscripts you know like they're helpful for me to find where I'm at but they're not like authoritative and like well you should stop now, right? It's like I read a lot more scripture. I read a I read a lot more broadly. Uh, for some reason when I'm, when I'm reading that reader's Bible. And so I'll sit down, I'll flip open to whatever I'm reading. I am uh, just started Second Peter. And I'll just read. Like some mornings I'll read a whole book of the Bible. And you're like, how the heck do you do that? It's, like, it's because I'm not like agonizing over every little thing I don't understand, but I'm just kind of making notes along the way so that I can go back when I get into my study time, which is different than when I get into the depth time, which is different than the breadth time if that makes sense. So give yourself the freedom as you're reading the Bible to read, as you read broadly, to not feel like you've got to try to figure every little thing out that you don't understand. There's going to be a lot of things that you're like, you're like, man, I I just get so sidetracked because I'm like, I'm reading and then I get two verses in I'm like, I don't understand what that means. It's like, that's fine. But for reading broadly, make a note, and keep going so that you get the bigger picture of what that's saying that's that's one of the things uh, we did for the for the book of hebrews where it was like okay as we as we lay out studying this book we got to first just read the book like just read it and it, you know going through hebrews like we could have got sidetracked along the way and we are as we go through it but but to read it, but to get a to get the big picture of what the book is saying because I, I might not be able to understand the little details if I don't understand how that little detail fits into the whole of the book, right? And fits into the whole of the Bible, which is why in a year, you could read through the Bible with 12 minutes a day. So that's breadth, right? Just broadly reading the Bible to get the big picture. We've all got the time to do that. So now reading for depth. So digging, digging down. So we've we've flown over the city we kind of, we see the magnitude of it, we get the scope, we kind of see the shape of it, all that stuff, but we haven't found our favorite pizza place yet, because we're still in the sky, right? Like, we actually have to get down on the ground and kind of explore to really get the nuances of it. Like, I, I didn't fall in love with the city of Chicago by just flying over it. It's Like, no, that's, that's just by walking around a lot. And finding the little holes in the wall, and like seeing the little nuances and stuff like that, like that takes a lot of time. You know, if you visited a city, it's like, and you're only there for two days, you feel a, you feel a little jipped. You're like, I want to go back because I do, don't. I feel like I just skimmed the surface. That's what reading for depth helps us with. And so, the bookmark here, and you guys can take some. There's more there at the back. Um, this this is helpful, I think, uh, if you want to just throw it in your Bible. I feel like how do I read for depth? Okay, How do I dig uh, for, the, for the nuggets of gold? I'll say this. It takes time. It takes hard work. It takes diligence. Uh, and, it, and it takes a rhythm. And like I said, my normal daily Bible reading is usually for breath. But often I'll have a time in the week, and it can kind of vary. It could be a Friday or it could be a Saturday on a day off where I take a little bit more time. And I, and I go back to one of the things that I was, you know, that I marked and I dig a little bit deeper. Instead of reading for breadth that day, I study for depth. And I go and I look at, at that particular passage to try to understand it even more than just the flyover. And so the way that you can do that uh, to understand, to read for depth, is, is this kind of like comprehension, interpretation, application. You might have heard of observation, interpretation, application. Uh, Jen Wilkin uses comprehension, and I, I kind of like why she does. And so comprehension is asking a question, what does this say? Like, before we, before we begin to understand what does this mean, we have to first understand, what, what is it just saying? It's kind of like when, when, I'm, when I'm... A lot of my stories are about Naomi because she's amazing, but uh, where it's like, I'll say something, and then she'll say back to me what she heard me say, and it's not at all what I said, right? Like, maybe you're, maybe our, our wives can do that sometimes, too. Um, dang, this is being recorded. Shoot. Uh, so, <laughs> so, and I can do that as well. Um, Laughter. <laughs> but, like, like, when we only hear what, when we only understand what we hear and not what was actually said, we don't actually see what was said, we can't really understand what they meant. And so, this is literally just walking through, um, looking at uh, repeated words, words you don't understand, uh, make notes, make an outline, like ask questions, like make some observations, like try to figure out, okay, what did they, what did, what, what does just this say? This is my issue. and... In, in, if if the if the SOAP acronym has been helpful for you, awesome, that's great. Uh, for me, it's kind of hard because I think our tendency is to want to read and then immediately jump to application. Um, and I, that's not to say that's not to say anything against applying scripture, but that is to say like we can't rightly apply scripture if we don't first know what it said and then know what it means. Because if scripture only means what it means to me then it's different than what it means to you, which is then different than what it meant to the original author. And now, all of a sudden, my, my understanding of the Bible has become subjective to my own experience, right? So that scripture observation application, like, like we want to put in there a, an interpretation, right? So we want to see what it says through comprehension or observation, and then we want to understand what it means. Like what did this mean to the people that this was being written to? because it can't mean something to us that it didn't mean to them. Now, we can apply Scripture differently. Obviously, we live in a different day where it's like, yeah, we have cars and planes and it, different societies, stuff like that. Like, Scripture will, will the, the application of Scripture will express itself a bit differently to us. But the meaning of Scripture, the overarching meaning of that Scripture, has to, we have to find out what it meant to them in order to understand what it means to us, and then we can, we can contextualize that to our particular day. That, that's, that's what the soap uh, thing is missing. It's missing understanding what it meant to them. And so this means utilizing some tools to understand the historical background, to understand the audience, uh, to understand the, even the genre of literature. The Bible is written in different genres, Right? So if we read the book of Psalms the same way that we read the book of Romans, it's going to be kind of difficult because you, do, you, you read poetry differently than you read an epistle. right? And so to understand genres, how, how, how should I approach reading this? Because one of the things that happens is when sometimes when people are reading like particularly poetic language, it's like, wow, do, do trees really clap their hands? Like. Trees don't have hands, and they don't clap. Like you get what it's saying, though. Like, like it, it's it's this beautiful imagery talking about all of creation, praising God. Like, like, but you could get super scientific about it. Be like, trees don't clap. Like the Bible's, you know if you're a critic kind of thing. but So to understand genre, to understand who's writing it and why they're writing, the occasion for which they're writing, that's why we took one week when we started Hebrews to just talk about what's the background of this book as best we can understand because we need to put ourselves in the shoes of the original audience to be able to understand what the scripture's saying before we jump to application. And I'll give you, at the end here, I'll give you a couple tools that can be helpful, particularly in that aspect of it. You're going, how in the world am I supposed to know that? There's no introduction to the book that tells me that there's some tools that'll help and then application application we're we're asking what does this teach me about God and how will that change me what does this teach me about God and how will that change me after seeing what it says after doing the work to understand what it means we're asking how does this teach me about God and how will it change me again this is in the the reading for depth portion right this isn't this probably isn't going to be an everyday practice for you This might be once a week this might be once every couple weeks where you set aside time to dig a little bit deeper but we have to dig a little bit deeper in order to get the golden nuggets that are down there to understand what this is actually saying all right i'm just kind of flying here i want to respect your time again if you got to leave early feel free to some helpful tools we're almost done helpful tools again this is where the pdf in your email is going to come in helpful This is this will be particularly helpful in the interpretation part of your of your Bible reading for depth. Okay, so first are commentaries, and instead of giving you like specific commentaries on specific books or whatever, uh, Ligonier Ministries. So if you're familiar with R.C. Sproul or Sinclair Ferguson or Robert Godfrey, some of these like amazing men, um, they've compiled a list of. So if you go to this link, it'll have a list of every book of the Bible. Click on whatever book you're in, and it'll give you a list of suggested commentaries that they've kind of sifted through, and they've kind of curated this list of commentaries that can be helpful. And I'll, I'll say this, guys. Uh, I'm pretty sure, uh, like, like, gym memberships are like 20 bucks a month-ish, 30 bucks a month, depending on where you go. Netflix is like $9 a month. Um, I, I'm trying to think of what other subscription. The average cable bill is $85 a month commentaries, if you if you drop 40, 50 bucks to have a resource for you and your family, like, that's a value statement, right? Like, I'm not saying that you have to have all the money in the world that the only way you can understand the Bible is if you spend money, but what I am saying is that most of us have found ways to spend money monthly on things that we enjoy and value, right? So, if you go to Amazon, after finding a commentary, you're like, wow, this is like 65 bucks. It's like, yeah, and it's probably cheaper than some of the other things that we'll spend our money on um, that, that yield incredibly less spiritual value, okay? So that, that's just kind of my encouragement to you. This is one way you, you can also lead your family, right? Like resource your family with tools for them to understand the scriptures. Uh, that, that's a way you can, you can love your wife well. So this will be in the link that I send you, um, a couple websites. The Bible Project gives, uh, they have like these little, these little videos, you know, you can watch, gives like a flyover of books. Blue Letter Bible um, helps you because the Bible wasn't written in English, it was written in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, and so uh, to actually understand, you know, the original words and be able to kind of dive into some of that stuff, Blue Letter Bible has some great resources on that. Uh, desiringgodorg God.org, maybe, maybe a lot of you already kind of know that resource, but it, their resource library is phenomenal go through, you can search by topic, you can search by scripture, it'll have articles, books, and sermons uh, that kind of go through that where you can, I I use this, I use Desiring God every single week like when I go to the gym, I'm not I I never listen to music, I'm almost always on Desiring God uh, or listening to a podcast uh, explaining scripture. Gospel Coalition is kind of the same thing Desiring God has a better, it's easier to navigate their resources on Desiring God, but Gospel Coalition uh, has some things that Desiring God doesn't Um, so if, if you're, if you're an engineer or if you're just a nerd, you can, I've got Logos. So Logos is like the best Bible study software I've found. Um, now when you go to it, you're gonna be like, Oh my gosh, like that's expensive. It's like, yeah, it is expensive. But again, it's worth it. The hard part with Logos, uh, you, you could print off all the things you're reading and give it to your spouse or whatever. But, um, if you're like, yeah, I'm going to go all for it. Logos is basically buying uh, an academic library on the scriptures. So, if you, if you, if you, by the, if, at the chance that you want to utilize that and you want some help, like kind of choosing a, a package that works for you, uh, feel free to ask me. But I've, I use Logos uh, like every day. So, and then some books. Again, these will all be in the PDF you get emailed. Grasping God's Word. I talked about genre. You're like, how, how how do I even understand? I don't even know what the genres of the Bible are. Grasping God's Word will have an overview of what these genres are, and it literally talk. It's like how to read your Bible, how to how to study and interpret your Bible. Same thing with how to read the Bible for all it's worth. It's kind of in the name. Uh, Women of the Word. We we plugged this uh, probably six months ago. Where it's like it, it's people of the word. It's like. It's an amazing book on, on how to read the Bible. She did a phenomenal job on that. Uh, reading the Bible supernaturally is good. It, it is 450 pages, though. So there you go. Um, <laughs> the King and His Beauty. I put an asterisk there because what this is, is uh, this, honestly, the bottom one, would probably actually be more reading for breath because what Thomas Schreiner does is he basically flies over all of the Bible... And 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 shows you uh, and gives you a biblical theology of the whole of Scripture. And it it, it that's another thick book, but it's it's a relatively easy read, and um, you could put that in your bathroom too and finish it probably in a year and a half. So it's really good to be honest. So um, one thing uh, we've got like twelve minutes left, and I want to give you those twelve minutes. I know this was a lot, so you can go back and listen to it or go through the slides, um, but. At your tables, discuss one of these two questions, all right? In light of all of this, so God has graciously given us his word in order for us to understand and see who he is. Now, we could get lost in the weeds on the perfect way to study your Bible and all this. Like, the point of studying the Bible is not to be good at studying the Bible. The point of studying the Bible is to see and enjoy God. That's the point. If you're clumsy at it, awesome. If you're good at it, great. Great. Like, read the Bible to see the beauty of God. All right, so what are your current rhythms of Bible reading and study? Uh, what does this look like now? Maybe you're terrible at it. You're like, maybe you're like. Maybe your answer to that is like, I don't do either. I don't do either. I don't read for breath 12 minutes a day. I don't read for depth. I don't do any of that. That's fine. This is a great starting place for you. Uh, and then what are some new ways you want to grow in your rhythms or start a rhythm of either reading for breath or reading for depth. So take the next, you know, uh, eight minutes, ten minutes, something like that, and then I'll come back here, I'll pray for us, and then we'll be done. So, cool.